Here we go. We've been, uh, we've been going through a series called Biblical all summer. We've been hitting some good stuff, huh? You guys enjoyed it? I've heard so many cool, encouraging testimonies and stories, and we are uh, continuing. We're, we're week two here on our Biblical Finances little mini-series in the midst of all this. So I'm really pumped. Andrew, man, last week, man, if you missed last week's message, you Jesus is telling you to go podcast the Mets. I'm telling you, it was, I've heard time and time again, time and time again, that it was one of the most clear messages on biblical finances they had ever heard from people. I've already heard three testimonies just of men that I like know in my little circle that have decided to step out in faith and obedience and change the way that they're handling their money, change the way that they're tithing just in seven days. It is it's so powerful. Andrew did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And so we're going to continue talking about this topic that Jesus spoke so much about. Uh, and I want to just start by letting you into kind of my, my upbringing with, finance, with money and what my, uh, what my life was like. I grew up in Houston in wealthy uh, American suburbia. Okay, I went to Memorial High School. If you guys know, Memorial is a, a fancy, really wealthy part of, of Houston. And uh, walking through the parking lot at my high school, Memorial High School, was like walking through a BMW dealership parking lot that had been like sprinkled with like $50,000 trucks with huge lift kits and giant tires. I mean, that was my high school parking lot. You know, we, we had more money than like 95% of the planet, and we were kids. And we had no idea what we were doing. And we had no idea how empty all of our wealth was. And I tried to find, I mean, I, I didn't grow up knowing much about Jesus or following Jesus, so I was just trying, the, my only option really was to find happiness in the material wealth and the success and the popularity of it all. And, and I tried, I tried really hard. I, I turned 16, I got a brand new Mustang from my parents, a, I think it was a 1999 it was just a V6, all you engine guys out there, you know, but, but it was awesome. It was like this kind of metallic midnight blue with this like white racing stripe, brand new. Walked out on the morning of my 16th birthday. My dad had it for me in the, in our, in the garage, and that was totally normal. That was just kind of what happened in Memorial, you know, and when I came to college, though, uh, a lot of y'all have heard my story. I'm not going to unpack all of it, but I had a night in my dorm room, my freshman year of college where it was like the grace of God just like pulled the blinders off my eyes and I had this moment where I just saw how empty and meaningless my life was without God. And the kindness of God revealed my emptiness and led me to repent of the way that I was living and begin to follow Jesus. And so I turned away and so many things began to change in my life as I systematically almost just started to turn away from the old way of, of doing things to this new way of learning how to follow Jesus. My friends changed, my habits changed, my morality changed, and something else changed that you might not really expect. The way that I viewed money started changing rapidly. So when I enrolled in college, I chose petroleum engineering, believe it or not, for my, my degree path, all right? Because I wanted the degree that was going to make me the most money when I graduated. And in 2001, that was these oil and gas engineers, right? So I jumped into petroleum engineering and started going, and then I met Jesus, 
And my priorities just began to change just rapidly. And it's not that making money is a bad thing. It's just that it's a pretty poor primary motivation for a calling. Are you with me? I'm actually going to encourage you today to to be faithful and diligent and to make money and steward it well and to be a faithful steward and manager of what God gives you. But but for me, it was, it, was a bad, it was a bad motivation for my degree. And so after I literally made a 4-0 my first semester in petroleum engineering and dropped out, all my professors were like, what is going on with this guy, you know? And so I went into general studies and kind of reevaluated my calling with God, right? But I'm sure that all of you guys have these, these moments in life, these stories of how God just like wrecked your plan for your future, Right? when you realize that nothing, nothing matters more than his kingdom. And he just has a way of like getting into our hearts and rearranging our priorities. Romans 12.2 says it like this. It says, do not be conformed to this world. That was, I, that was the path I was on until I was 19 years old. I was being conformed to the way of this world. Material wealth, success, popularity. But then God got a hold of me and I began to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And that's what his kingdom does. So I actually became the guy that started sort of spurning wealth a little bit, all right? I wore the same four or five T-shirts. This was my freshman year of college. I just started walking with Jesus. I wore the same four or five T-shirts all the time with cargo shorts and chacos, all right? This was Texas A&M University at the glorious turn of the millennium, Okay. <laughs> Everybody that knew Jesus wore cargo shorts and chacos if they were a dude, all right? I actually had this great thrift store t-shirt I bought with Hardy. Uh, he took me to this, this thrift store. He was a thrift store king. And uh, it was, this, it was a, a, this shirt, and it had a soccer goal, and uh, Jesus was diving like this, like playing goalie in front of the soccer goal, and it said, Jesus saves. And that was in my top four, right? And so that was me. And I was kind of spurned wealth, right? So I'd go home to visit my mom, amazing, amazing woman. She's so sweet, loves me like crazy. And my mom has this revelation of the abundance of God. And so she just wants to spend money on me all the time. And she'd see me in my like three, four T-shirts. She'd be like, honey, we're getting you some new clothes. And so she'd take me to some department store in Houston, in Memorial, and, and she'd just start filling the cart. You know, just all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, I'm just feeling terrible the whole time. You know, like, this is so wasteful. And we, we go to the counter, and they just start ringing up. And it's like every, every item would just ring up. And just, I'm just watching the number climb, this, like, uncomfortable amount of money that I was certain was wasteful and also felt like I just didn't deserve because I was this wretched sinner, unworthy of, you know, God's abundance, Right? That's not actually true. But you can see how much our spiritual journey and our view of God expresses itself through the way that we view money. It's almost as if all of our theology about God, whether good or bad, biblical or not, will reveal itself in how we view and handle our resources. Which is, I, which is why I believe Jesus spent so much time talking about it. And which is why we, as the church, have got to, get our, got to get our heads in the word and get a biblical grasp on how God sees money. We all have a relationship with money. 
We all do. Every single one of us, we have a story of poverty or riches. We all either came from incredible wealth, abject poverty, or probably for most of us, somewhere in between. And part of our journey to know and understand God and his kingdom must include a journey to know and understand his kingdom economy, his perspective on money, wealth, and the stewardship of resources. Jesus talked a lot about these things because as Andrew did such a great job last week of unpacking, as they reveal a ton about our heart and where we are at with the Lord. So my invitation as we dive into the word is Romans 12, 2. Will you allow God to transform you this morning by the renewal of your mind? Will you come hungry and humble to the word of God today and say, God, whether I grew up in wealth or poverty, what other baggage I have, whether I wanted to stand up five years ago, sorry, five minutes ago when this guy said money in church because I, I don't want to do that thing. Wherever you're at this morning, will you come humble and hungry to be transformed by the word of God? That's the invitation. I want you to flip to Matthew 6. We're going to look at two passages this morning straight out of the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 6, and then we're going to be in Matthew 25. Matthew 6, verse 25 through 33. We're going to read it together. And then once we get to Matthew 25, we're actually going to do something different this morning. You're going to turn with a neighbor, and you're going to actually read the Bible on your own in church and talk to a friend about it. It's going to be great. Matthew 6, here we go, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Wow. I mean, we could just stop right there, you know, and just respond, worship, repent, right? I mean, Jesus is amazing, and he has a way in what, like eight verses of just like hitting on so much of our experience and what our hearts wrestle with and anxiety, and and then in one line, he just like straightens it out for us. Seek first the kingdom of God. I just want to make two, we're we're not going to stay here very long this morning, but I want to make two observations to kind of create a foundation before we go into where we're going in Matthew 25. Number one, you, we, 
us, every single one of us individually, you are valued by God. He is a good father that knows what you need. That has to be a key part of your understanding, your theology about who God is and who you are. You are valued by God, who is a good father that knows what you need, right? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to read this one time and see that you're more valuable than the birds of the air. You are cared for by a good father, and your needs matter to him. And number two, the order in which we seek things matters. Order matters matters. Priority, priority matters, right? And I think what we see in this passage here is that when we put his kingdom first, when we put the right things in the right order, it actually releases provision into our lives. If we get the order right, it unlocks provision into our lives, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you're anxious about all the time will be added unto you. Why? Because you have more value than the birds of the air. He's a good father. He knows what you need, but he is trying to train our hearts in the priority of his kingdom and his righteousness above everything else. So seek first. And where we put the right things in the right order, it actually unlocks breakthrough in other areas of our lives. Some of us are waiting for some kind of financial breakthrough that actually doesn't have anything to do with your finances. It has to do with seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if we ordered our hearts right after his kingdom, we would see a breakthrough in this area of our life. So, order matters. Last week, Andrew quoted Proverbs 3.10, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth, and then your barns will be bursting with plenty, and your vats will be overflowing with wine. So there's this first thing that really matters. Again, here at Antioch, we talk about spending time with Jesus a lot, right? If you've been around here for any period of time, it's like the broken record of discipleship in our communities, like spend time with Jesus. Get up, Every day and spend a little, start your day by getting alone somewhere and talking to God, reading the Bible, worshiping, spend time with Jesus. And it's this, it's, it is rooted in this idea of seeking first. And so there's this like counterintuitive way of the kingdom where it's like, okay, earthly wisdom says sleep more, feel better, right? Heavenly wisdom says get up earlier, sleep less, seek God, feel amazing. And so there's this priority thing, right, where it's like our wisdom says get as much sleep as I can so I feel better, but the wisdom of God says seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Order matters. The same thing with this first fruits principle in our finances, right? Earthly wisdom says pay your bills, save some money, make sure all your ducks are in a row, and then if you have some leftover, tithe. Biblical wisdom says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth, then your barns will be overflowing with plenty. I talked to a friend just this past Friday. I was blown away. 
I was blown away. He's an amazing, just amazing man of God and part of our community. I didn't ask if I could share this. I'm not going to share his name, but I was so touched. He, this, this man is, uh, has been walking through life with God for a long time and is a faithful part of God's community. And he shared with me, he said, every two weeks, I get my paycheck on Friday. And every two weeks for the last 30 years, on Friday when I get paid, I sit down at lunch and I pay my bills. That's what I've done my whole life. I get paid and I pay my bills. And they tithe and they give. It's not that they they aren't involved in that way. But after the message last week, he said, you know what I did this Friday? For the first time in 30 years, I got paid and I sat down on my lunch break and the first check I wrote, the first check I wrote was my tithe. And I was like, come on. I was, I was so fired up and encouraged because this man understands and is allowing God to transform his thinking into the first mentality. The order of things matters. And he said to me, he said, honestly, I'm looking at the next couple of weeks and I don't really know how the numbers are going to shake out, but I'm excited. I know God has me. That is a man who is seeking first the kingdom of God and knows that all other things are going to be added to him by a good father that values him and knows his needs. So I had an experience a few months ago, because you might be looking at me this morning going, man, you've come a long way from your thrift store, thrift store days, you know? And uh, a few months ago, I was convicted by how we were tithing and, and we giving to the church and giving us some missionaries and just our personal journey and where things were falling. And I felt like God was challenging us to take to, to kind of up our, our game in some areas and to take a step of faith. We were struggling financially at this time. Things were tight and uncomfortable and, th- and we were just kind of like, ugh. But we felt like we've got to obey God. This is what he's calling us to do. And faith is simply taking the step of discomfort even though it's uncomfortable. And so I talked to Arlena. We had unity, and we, we, did, we did what we felt like God was calling us to do. Well, I have to say, for a few weeks leading up to this, I was getting a few comments from people about how worn out my shoes looked. Mostly Kevin Valle was making fun of me for my trashy black shoes that I had been wearing for like the last year. And uh, apparently he wasn't the only one that was noticing my wardrobe slacking because I'm not kidding you. Two days after we chose to just obey what God was asking us to do in our finances, even though it was uncomfortable, two days later, we're sitting at a restaurant here in town and some friends of ours come in. They, they go to our church. They saw us there and they said, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we ran into you. I have a check for you. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. Um, God told me, God told us to give you $300 specifically, Chris, so that you could go buy new clothes. I'm like, what is the deal with my wardrobe? Thank you, God. I'll take it, okay? Because I actually like new clothes, but I got four little kids, right? And there's just not a whole lot of shopping going on in my world, right? But I'm telling you, we went to Ross that weekend, and and I got like five or six shirts and three pairs of shoes, you know, a couple new pairs of jeans, like... If the lilies of the field can be clothed by God, I can too, you know? And, but it, it's like God sees the heart of first. Like, 
Like, seek first. It's not a game, right? We're not, we're not gambling. We're like, well, if I, you know, there's no, like, manipulating God, right? He sees the purity of our hearts, but the order matters. And when we order our hearts with his kingdom first, it unlocks, it unlocks things into our lives. And so, obviously, just as a bonus, I mean, in this passage in Matthew 6, he's, he's talking about anxiety so much, right? And so here's the key. If you're somebody that wrestles with anxiety, there are these truths are actually the keys to your breakthrough. They might sound so simple, but these truths are the keys to your breakthrough, which is you're valued by God and he knows what you need, but the order in which you seek things matters. And so if you're struggling with anxiety, you need to grab those things biblical truths from the mouth of Jesus, and you need to go and implement them into your life and watch the breakthrough come. All right. Matthew 25, changing gears here. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to a neighbor, just one other person. If you don't know them, say, hey, meet their name. Somebody open your Bible. I hope you got a paper Bible between the two of you. It's just kind of easier to read with a friend. But you're going to get the next two, three minutes. I want you to read Matthew 25 with your neighbor. So turn to your neighbor, and I'm going to give you a little instruction. If you're feeling alone and disconnected and nobody's, like, scooted over to read with you, like, raise your hand, okay? We're going to get you a partner. There's, like, no odd man out here, okay? Like, we, we don't want you to be sitting reading alone. If we got to do a group of three, we can do a group of three, all right? Okay. Here's the assignment. You ready? So... Um, I bring, I know we're in the digital age, that's fine. I bring my paper Bible with me to church all the time because it's almost like a, a declaration that it's, it's my job to feed myself from the word and not somebody else's. And so I want us to get into this thing this morning and to take the next three minutes, I want y'all to read Matthew 25, one person, just read it out loud, or you can switch back and forth if you want to. And here's the deal. You're each going to look for one observation. This is the parable of the talents. So you're going to see two main characters, two main uh, actors in this. You're going to see the landowner, right, the, the, the owner of the resources, and then you're going to see the managers. So all you're doing is reading this passage, and then each of you are going to make one observation either about the landowner or the managers. Ready? Go. Three minutes. Rock and roll. You're just reading 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. Don't read about the virgins, just the parable of the talents. Verse 14 through 30. All right. All right, I've got a confession to make. I'm feeling convicted, y'all. Man. I'm feeling legit. I'm feeling convicted at how easy it is to read the Bible with my spouse, my friend, my roommate, right? It's like, how easy was that? I'm serious. Like, I'm feeling so convicted. Like, babe, we got to, like, read the Bible more together. And I mean, it's so easy, right? Said, read a a passage. Hey, what do you you see? 
you know? Hey, can we all commit to like just trying to implement that practice into our lives this week? Whether it's with your roommates, with your spouse, with some friend that you're sharing your faith with. Like, hey, can we just read this together? What does it say? Man. All right. I'm serious, babe. We need to figure it out. I'm not playing. All right. And that's on me. Um, so uh, let, me just, let me just hear, you guys, look, you guys, we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? Like that, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word of God to us, to, to, to remind us of these truths, right? So, so any of y'all could get up here and with a little bit of practice, with the Holy Spirit, you could preach on this passage. Any of you guys. And so I, I would love to hear a couple observations about the landowner. What do you see? Somebody just share something. Gave according to each one's ability. All right. He gave out sums of money based on different people's abilities. Awesome. He had discernment to understand what each different person's ability was to give them a sum of money that they could steward. Awesome. What else? He's generous. All right. Awesome. Praise God. Yes, sir. He was fair and just across the board. Fair. It was the same task for all three. All yep. three had the choice what they were going to do. That's right. Awesome. Awesome. Though they were given different amounts based on their ability, the assignment was just and fair across the board for everyone. Amazing. What are some observations? Sorry, did I hear something else come out? Come, right, regardless of if they started with one or five or two or whatever, the end result of their faithfulness was the same. Come and share in my happiness. Wow, so good. What's up, Tim? Amazing. Their increase matched what they were entrusted with. Yeah, that's what you just said. That's good, Ben. <laughs> All right, somebody make a couple, share a couple observations about the stewards, the managers. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I didn't see it that way, but that's amazing. That's so good. I mean, through the lens of this, this, the primary treasure we've been entrusted to steward is Jesus and his gospel. And so if we take that treasure and bury it, then there's going to be nothing multiplied and given back to him from, from our lives. Wow, I'm convicted again. Thanks again. What's your name? RJ. RJ. Wow, you can preach next weekend. <laughs> Unbelievable. One, one more. Yeah, man. Wow. 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 Amazing. He says it tackles the spirit of comparison 
And even though one guy was given less, he still went and was faithful with it. And he's saying that there's an encouragement in there for us to not look around at what God's entrusting to other people, but to receive what he's entrusted to us and, and enter into his joy. Come on. Man, praise God. You guys encouraged? It's like, we, gosh, we've been give, given the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And y'all, we, we can read the word and understand it. And, and this passage is, is so packed full of revelation when we want to think about the issue of wealth and stewarding the resources God has entrusted to us. This is a primary key for us understanding God's economy, God's perspective on wealth and money and stewardship, because these talents are actual sums of money. Yes, there are so many different ways that we can take this idea of stewardship. It's not just how you steward resources. It's how you steward your, your giftings. It's how you steward your family. It's how you steward the gospel. There are so many directions, but in the story, he's actually giving them sums of money. And so... This is huge for us to get an insight into God's economy and what it means for us to be faithful stewards, which at the end of the day, we see that was, that's what he's looking for. Not comparison, faithfulness. And, I mean, you guys just basically shared the rest of my sermon, but, I mean, there's a, a couple of, just in summary, a couple of observations. You got, again, this, some of this is going to be review of what y'all already said, but God owns everything, but he's entrusted it, he's entrusted his property to servants for a time, okay? Number two, the talents are actual sums of money. 20 years wages was one talent. That tells me, even if you think you're a one-talent guy, you still have been given an incredible amount of God's treasure to steward. See what I'm saying? One talent, 20 years wages. None of you, are, none of you have, uh, regardless of your ability, We've all been entrusted with so much wealth from God. Number three, God is expecting that we manage his resources in a way that produces increase. The normal result of faithfulness is increase. Did you see how when he came back and the guy that hit it in the ground, he was like, he was like oh, you should have at least invested it so that I got what was mine back with some interest, there was an expectation of increase. When we walk in the wisdom of God and when we choose faithfulness, we should see increase in the things that he has entrusted to us. Number four, trading resources in the kingdom is different than trading stocks in the market. Different rules apply and the return is almost always better. So if you want to know what rules apply to kingdom resources, go read Proverbs 10 through Proverbs 14. I could share a bunch of scriptures, but it would be better for all of us if we just grappled with them on our own. But you see how they were given talents, and they went out and traded with them. I don't know what was happening in this economy, but they were taking what God had given them, and they were using the wisdom of God to bring increase. But the rules are different in the kingdom. Because there's no stock market hedge fund manager on the planet that would advise you to give away 10% of your wealth. Maybe there's a couple. I'm sorry. There, there, there are probably some kingdom-minded hedge fund guys out there that would actually do that. But most of the worldly wisdom you're going to find is not going to tell you give 
of your resources away. It's going to tell you how to spend and save and invest. But the kingdom of God, the rules are different. Because heaven is different than this earthly economy. And the return when we walk in God's wisdom is always better. And I don't have time to unpack this whole story, but one of the main ways we've seen this at play in our life was there was a couple years ago when some friends of ours, they were moving to a part of town and there was, a lots, there was lots out there and we kind of were like, well, what if we... What if we put our name on one of these lots, just kind of a future, you know, sort of a pipe dream. Maybe one day we could live out here with our friends. And, and so we had some money that actually my, my dad gave me when I graduated from college. It was like a stock account that had grown over the years. And, and it was sort of what we were viewing as our nest egg. I'm not sharing the story to say, oh, wow, look at us. We're so, we're so generous or whatever. I'm sharing the story to, to, to emphasize the principle that the rules are different in the kingdom of God. So we felt like in the process of, hey, maybe we could, you know, build a house or live out here one day. We felt like God told us to give away our nest egg. There was, it, it wasn't to this church. It was to a different thing going on that we felt like God invited us. He said, will you get behind, will you get behind my dream before your own. Basically, it's back to this order of things. He says, will you invest in my dream first before your own? And we had so much peace and unity, and we gave away our nest egg. And it was us just, look, it's just what God had spoken to us, and we felt like it was just, it was joyful. It was this opportunity to say, God, we want to seek your kingdom first, and we want to first be about your dream, then we want to be about our dreams. And so without going into all the details of what's happened in the last four or five years since that choice, I can tell you, no exaggeration, that investment in God's dream, he has returned, like financially, the financial return on that investment has been tenfold what we gave away in the last five years. Ten times. What percentage is that? I, I just... I know it's greater than any stock fund manager's return that we have in our 401ks. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't, the wisdom of God is always better than the ways of this world. And so there is an invitation for us to step out into trust and obedience and to watch the kingdom economy at work in our midst. Are you guys following me? Faithfulness. Is, the, is what we're going for. It's not comparison. It's not compulsion. It's not any other thing but faithfulness to what God has asked us to do and the people he's asked us to be. That's the goal. And here's the cool thing. Regardless of what resources you've been entrusted with, faithfulness is the key to entering the joy of God. Do you see that? That was the reward. Enter into the... So I would think that since we're living in the most depressed and anxiety-laden culture in all of time, that the offer of the joy of God would be a little bit more exciting to us. I mean, you guys don't really... I mean, some of y'all aren't just bubbling over with the joy of God this morning. I'm going to be honest. I've been watching your faces all morning. So again... Some of our joy problem, some of our anxiety problem 
Guys, it's a faithfulness problem. If we will walk in faithfulness to what God has entrusted to us, it unlocks the door to enter into the joy of our master. Whether you've been given one talent and make it two, or you've been given 10 talents and make it 20, it unlocks the door into the joy of our master to be faithful like Jesus. All right, stand up. We're going to respond. Van's going to come up here. So, man, Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Have it up here on the screen. Hebrews 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I think we're going to have it up here on the screen. Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Faithfulness. Isn't it amazing that a few thousand years of biblical revelation of the one true God, first through Moses and the old covenant, and then through Jesus and the new covenant, can all be wrapped up in six verses by saying, look at how faithful those guys were. And we get invited to walk in the footsteps of Jesus as faithful sons and daughters in the house of God, stewarding the things he's entrusted to us. So we're gonna give our hearts to Jesus because faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit. And we're gonna ask for Jesus to fill us with the spirit and, and help us be faithful. But here's what we're gonna do first. I felt like when I was praying before this morning, I felt like I saw a lot of people in this room, maybe this is a cause for some of the lack of joy, but I felt like I saw a lot of people in this room actually in chains and enslaved to shame because of past unfaithfulness. And I'm telling you, if that is you this morning, you are about to be set free of the shame of your unfaithfulness for your past, okay? Because that is not God's portion for you. If you have squandered wealth, if you have squandered talents, if you've squandered a marriage, squandered your family, your kids, and there's shame that you're feeling because of your unfaithfulness, there is a breakthrough of those chains for you this morning in the presence of Jesus. So I want us to close our eyes. I want us to close our eyes. If that is you, if that is you, as a prophetic sign, I just want you to envision that your hands are in shackled in chains right in front of you. If you even need to hold your hands in front of you saying, man, I have felt shame for my past unfaithfulness. I want you to envision your hands in chains in front of you. And then as a prophetic act of the blood of Jesus that eradicates shame and empowers us to be faithful, I want you to lift your hands up in the air because your chains are being broken in the name of Jesus. I want you to break your chains off 
and raise them up in the air because you're victorious by the blood of Jesus to be more than a conqueror. Your destiny is to be a faithful servant, a faithful son or daughter in the house of God. Your destiny is to manage the things that he's entrusted to you and see them grow and increase so that when God returns, he looks at you and he says, well done, faithful servant. I gave you one talent. You made it two and then you made it four and then you made it eight and then you made it 16 and then you made it 32 and 64. And I can't even do the math beyond that. But the little portion I gave you at the beginning, you have multiplied. Man, just like I took the bread and the fish and I breathed on them when you gave them to me and I fed 5,000. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a little bit of faithfulness. Jesus, would you empower us today through your Holy Spirit to walk in faithfulness? We give you our hearts and we ask that you would breathe the Holy Spirit and empower us to move beyond our shame into faithfulness today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.